Hey everyone, this is Mike. The title of this podcast is Alphabet Soup for Corporations. I think a good place for us to back our way into this is by defining what a corporation is. It is a separate and distinct legal entity from the shareholders. It's also considered a creature of statute. Because it's a creature of statute, it's necessary to look at corporation acts to determine what uh, or determine how to form a corporation and what the rules are when it comes to operating one. In this country, this is done at the state level. Each state has its own act. Any corporation that is domiciled in a given state and formed under the laws of that state must set the corporation up in accordance with the rules of that state's incorporation act. Now, there are three sources of corporate law. The first comes from state statutes. The second comes from minimal governing documents. And when I speak of minimal governing documents, what I'm referring to here is articles of incorporation and bylaws of the organization. And the third source of corporate law is case law. Basically, cases interpret and apply the provisions in corporate statutes and in a corporation's articles and bylaws. And they fill gaps in the law. So to the extent that the law might be silent on an issue, uh, case law fills those gaps and resolves problems not covered or not fully covered by statutes, articles, or bylaws. Now, when it comes to liability, the liabilities for a corporation are at the corporate level and they don't flow down to shareholders. That is one of the distinguishing characteristics from a partnership. In a partnership, the liabilities can flow down, but when it comes to a corporation, once again, uh, the corporation is viewed as an entity separate and apart from the shareholders. So the liability is incurred at the corporate level and it doesn't flow down to the shareholders. The shareholder is not personally liable for acts or debts of the corporation, except that they may become personally liable for reason of their own acts or conduct. So there is a theory in corporate law called piercing the corporate veil, and there are ways in which a litigant can pursue the individual shareholders when they have a claim against the corporation. Uh, one of the ways in which the corporate veil can be pierced is if there is commingling of funds. So, for example, if one or more of the shareholders has um, pooled some of their personal resources uh, or some of their personal funds with the corporation's funds, um, that in itself, well, that in itself creates a number of other issues, but that's one way in which a claimant can actually um, go after the individual shareholder. Um, and again, this happens um, when a shareholder um, is basically treating the uh, the corporation's account as if it's his or her own piggy bank and commingling money to the extent that it's unable to discern, that one is unable to discern what is the corporation's 
profit versus profits versus what are the shareholders profits in exchange for this protection against um, personal liability the c corporation is a tax paying entity that must pay taxes on its income so i'm sure you've all heard of this um, notion that uh, taxes or that um, profits are taxed twice in a corporation what that means is that the corporation pays taxes and then whenever the corporation um, makes a distribution in the form of dividends to the taxpayers, to the shareholders rather, the shareholders have to pay tax on their, um, on, on their shares or on the dividend that they received. So um, anytime uh, that the dividends are issued, there is a corresponding tax liability that the shareholder has to satisfy with the IRS. And for that reason, it's, um, there's this idea that there is double taxation when it comes to corporations. Now, the way an individual has an ownership interest in the corporation is through the purchase of stock. Um, that is very key when it comes to corporations. Individuals own interest in corporations through the purchase of stock. Now, when it comes to the transferability of ownership interest, there is no restriction on transfer. Um, so essentially, stock is freely transferable. The only uh, way to restrict the transfer of stock is through writing some type of um, restriction into the agreement. So in the absence of an agreement restricting transfer of stock, the stock is freely transferable. Uh, but again, if there is some type of uh, provision in the articles of the corporation restricting the transfer of stock, then that would, um, that would apply. When there is a stock transfer, the corporation continues to exist notwithstanding the fact that there's a new owner. And we see this happen time and time again where there is transfer of stock from uh, one shareholder to another shareholder and the corporation continues to exist into perpetuity. Um, the mere uh, transfer of stock does not um, in any way cause the corporation to dissolve or to become non-existent. And so even if a shareholder dies, there's no impact on the corporation. I'd like to just contrast this idea of free transferability of interest with um, sole proprietorships and partnerships. So for example, if you are a sole proprietor and you sell your sole proprietorship to another person, your sole proprietorship ends. Um, similarly, if you have a partnership and you sell your partnership interest to someone else, or if you die, God forbid, the partnership ends unless the partners have included in the agreement a provision for the continuation of the partnership after the sale of a partnership interest or the death of a partner. Um, another key characteristic of corporations is that they have centralized management. And a big issue that has to be decided by the shareholders in the corporation is where is it going to be incorporated? Now, 
a a quick example, a quick and dirty example here to drive this concept home is that it's actually possible to apply to another state for permission to do business in that state, even if you are incorporated in another state. Um, what would happen essentially is that um, if you are assu- assuming, of course, that you are in good standing in the state in which you are incorporated, then you can apply to another state for permission to do business in that state. And typically what happens is that you'd appoint someone to be served with process in that other state. So the procedure for doing this is, let's say, for example, that your corporation is incorporated in Michigan. Um, and you would like to do business in the state of Ohio, what you would do is you would get a certificate of good standing from the state of Michigan and appoint someone to be served with process in Ohio. And that's one way in which the uh, corporation can can do business in another state. Uh, The corporation is now considered a foreign corporation with respect to Ohio, a separate legal entity. As a separate legal entity, the corporation has separate and distinct legal characteristics from the state in which it resides. So um, this is just a very basic overview of uh, corporations and corporate law. Um, It does get a lot more complex than what We've, than what I've discussed here, but it's a good place to start and it's good to have a general working knowledge of how these rules uh, work um, so that you have a good um, you have a good foundation and um, you know in terms of in terms of knowing what your duties and responsibilities are and in terms of deciding whether this is the right, Um, legal entity or structure for your small business. If you have any questions, please feel free to call me or email me anytime. My email address is mjdbliss, spelled D-E-B-L-I-S at dblisslaw.com. It's an exciting time whenever I have clients come to me and are in the uh, early stages of forming an organization. Um, However, you want to make sure that things are done right from the very beginning uh, to avert what could be potential problems later on down the line. So addressing contingencies in advance prevents um, headaches in the future. And um, my door is always open.